Hello, dear listener. This is Brittany popping in up front to apologize for the audio quality of this episode. We were doing a Skype interview and some of the network connectivity, I don't, the, you know, probably a million and a half people in Chris's neighborhood were online at the time. And so that led to some kind of crackling and pop, popping over the Skype connection. And in my efforts to get rid of as much of that as I could, the audio is just a, a wee bit distorted. So thanks for uh, riding that out with us and for being patient. And I hope that you enjoy this very special episode. Okay, I want to make this clear. Let me be clear. <laughs> we are not a libertarian podcast in the sense of a broad libertarianism. You know, I call myself a libertarian socialist and believe in an anarchism of the left that prioritizes social welfare above all, uh, that does it in as voluntary of a way as possible. And I think a lot of that uh, leaning goes into our uh, next guest, but he is currently winning <laughs> the libertarian primary and may well be on your ballot uh, come this November. We are, of course, talking about the one, the only, the pony riding. The tyrant you can trust. The, two, the, the friendly fascist. fascist. <laughs> we are <laughs> a fucking friendly fascist on the show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh shit. Now, what have we done? Yeah. Uh, no, yeah but we're Ver talking about so Vermin, Vermin Supreme. Supreme. Um, about Vermin Supreme. We did an interview with him. We did a very long interview with him. We're going to leave in, as, I'm going to leave in as much of it as possible because I think it's all very good content. So I'm not an anarchist, unlike Chris and David. I. I'm still questioning. I, I yeah, don't know I know. What the hell I, am. I don't know. You know, it's we I, I, as we said, journey. we are a we have many tendencies on this podcast. We're a bit politically promiscuous. It's uh, it was very interesting to be able to talk to such a like hardline anti-statist anarchist because I don't get to uh, talk with a ton of those people. I disagreed with a lot of what he said because I am a socialist and, you know, a, a, I'm basically a Marxist. So we have different ideas. We did not do an adversarial interview. This was like a good hangout. It was a good, it was <laughs> yeah. like we were chilling. Uh, but you should feel free to uh, uh, get in touch with us if you think that there is something that you really disagreed with and you want to talk about. You know, shoot us an email. Let, uh, let's. Uh... Or agreed with strongly. And yeah. Because yeah. he I said wanna... a lot of stuff that I totally agree Absolutely. With. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like a hell no. of a lot of stuff. There's definitely a lot of stuff to, to cover in this. And uh, it's, um, we, we're really looking forward to seeing how, uh, how people react to it. And we're incredibly grateful to Vermin for giving us so much of his time and for his team, you know, helping set up the call with us. It was, uh, it was great. Yeah. It was just super fun. Uh, I had a lot of fun. It was uh, like chatting. hanging out. It was, it was like hanging out with somebody cool. I, I have to say, I, like, you know, the, everyone talks about how Joe Biden instantly makes you feel like you're the most important person in the world. Vermin, you are instantly deeply hanging out with him yeah like as soon as he starts talking i'm like oh yeah we're i like i feel like you know we're across the internet but i feel like i'm on his couch and i'm just like he, like we're just chatting yeah so without further ado enjoy our chat fireside covid chat with uh <laughs> vermin supreme at a, at a so responsible social distance so right. here like, uh you the boot you want the boot yeah yeah sure i mean if, you know make when, yourself comfortable when do i not want the boot what, whatever yeah. makes you feel comfortable yeah, yeah that's that's great. Figure. well you know uh because the boot has become a a bit of a controversial figure in the libertarian party uh during my uh 
nomination run. Um, I've sort of gotten used to uh, doing things without it. Huh. Uh, they've actually put forth novelty headwear bans uh, during some of the debates. What? That doesn't seem very libertarian. Uh, well, I don't believe the irony is lost on them while they're doing it either. But okay, good. The, I, I believe that they're just uh, really trying to present a somewhat more professional image. And uh, some people just have their, once again, let's, let's face it, it's vermin derangement syndrome is real. Yeah. Mm. Boot derangement syndrome is real. Uh, the boot has caused no amount of uh, freakouts on the, uh, in the Libertarian Party. It's been very interesting and uh, somewhat curious to see people losing their shit, so to speak, because I have a boot on my head. <laughs> so uh let me introduce uh our guest for this uh special iron weeds uh episode mr vermin supreme you are running for president again uh and well, yes that is correct and how's the campaign going well let me tell you uh this year is an amazing year uh as you probably are aware i've been spending the past 30 years uh running a uh, somewhat facetious, satirical, humorous, and hilarious campaign for the presidency uh, using uh, some simple, elegant, and effective means to uh, draw attention to uh, my candidacy, including the ever-popular and magical rubber boot on the head. Um, as you can see, it's very form-fitting. and, uh, and it's, <laughs> is, that, uh, is that custom? Did you do that? Well, I customized it by putting on the uh, by putting the, it on uh, his head, the, the bling. Well, yes, by putting it on the yeah, head, yeah. Yes. Well, you don't see that most places. <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose I repurposed it in a sense. I guess you yeah. could say that they call uh, it upcycling. Yeah, upcycling. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so, well, you, uh, yeah, we're seeing like these like yeah, um, yes. There's like a, a <laughs> silver uh, little bits on it, right? You've uh, you, you've bedazzled it. Uh, maybe? Yeah, they're little uh, they're little stick on. Uh, Bedazzling type of uh, things. Gorgeous. I don't know if I can get it close yeah. to you there. Very punk rock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it looks like a studs from a slight distance, but it's a real sparkly little uh, jewel like things. Uh, yeah, I had to mix it up. I was I went to Mardi Gras, so I wanted to make it look uh, extra special. Yeah. Oh wow! Did you actually go? Um, I actually did. I, the the flow of it. Uh, it was uh, right at the time of a, a Libertarian Party debate in Florida, mm -hmm. in Orlando. And so we figured if we were that close, why not pop on over to see the Mardi Gras? Sure. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was a lot more fun than I remember. I went there once many, many years ago, and, uh, and I did not enjoy it because it, there's just so much alcohol energy and, and uh, you know, sloppy drunks. But I, I, did, I didn't see that this time. I didn't see a lot of sloppy drunks. I didn't see a lot of vomit and uh, just a lot of nice people. And uh, a lot of people uh, recognized me, of course. And a surprising number of those people who uh, were fans, who recognized me on the street, many were from uh, New Orleans itself. Uh, so I huh. felt I had really a pretty good base down there. And cool. I, I wish. Yeah. Well, that's so, awesome. So for those people that aren't blessed, hashtag blessed enough to know your platform, can you give like a quick rundown of what uh, a Vermin Supreme presidency would uh, would bring to everyone? Well, yes, I could, of course, give you the shtick. If you're looking for a little shtick, I can give you a little shtick. Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah. little shtick for the fans. A little shtick. Or, or the soon-to-be fans. 
Because because if you're if you're hungry for stick, I'll, I'll throw a little <laughs> stick your way. Give, give us. I, I want as much stick as you yeah. are interested in. <clears throat> yeah, doing. I, I could give you my uh, my greatest internet hit, if you will. <laughs> Put- you know, play the hits. You're, yeah, you're, you're the master here, so we're, right, we're only well, along for the I, ride. I guess, I guess I will recite for you my greatest internet hit. So if, if you're ready, uh, hold I, on I, and enjoy. I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. Lo- I've like strapped in, ready to go. <laughs> I have, I, I my eyeballs are. Down, I, have to, I have to reach down deep inside me and uh, uh, get get in character, if you will. Okay, uh, a moment. Is it, we'll all stay quiet. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Gingivitis has been eroding the gum line of our great nation of ours for long enough and must be stopped. For too long, our country has been suffering a great moral and oral decay in spirit and incisors. A country's future depends on its ability to bite back. We can no longer be a nation indentured. Our very salvation is at stake <laughs> so won't you bite the bullet and brace yourselves as we cross together the bridge work into the 23rd century may we become a sea of shining smiling shining smiling shining 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 smiling 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 faces <laughs> from sea to shiny sea Now, friends, do not be fooled by false teeth prophets. This mandatory toothbrushing law is not about the secret dental police kicking down your door at 3 a.m. to make sure that you have brushed and flossed. No, friends, it is not. It is not about the dental re-education centers, nor the preventative mental dental maintenance detention facilities, nor is it about the government-issued toothpaste containing an addictive yet harmless substance and friends it's not even about the dna gene splicing to create a race of winged tooth monkeys to act as dental enforcers no friends what this mandatory toothbrushing law is really all about is strong teeth for a strong america thank you so no, no, no one can see because this is an audio format but we're we are all standing uh, oh, and oh, this we're waving our toothbrushes you back and forth. Me, you're telling me this is audio? Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be really? audio. Yeah. Oh, okay. The, well, hold on. I, I, we'll just, yeah, I got to. We'll just pretend it's still on my head, okay? <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize that. We, we, okay, sure. No, I, I'm, I'm down with it. I, I, I see where I see what's happening. Now. Okay. <laughs> Yes, and so they're, they're mandatory toothbrushing law. That's number one, right? And of course, that is a direct response to the uh, uh, great state of Massachusetts put forth a mandatory seatbelt law back in the early '80s. And it occurred to me. I mean, I said, well, to myself, it's like, well, that's a pretty good idea to <laughs> yeah. buckle up, sure. Um, and I could see that how the state would have an interest in. Wanting to not spend a whole lot of money on uh, head injuries and things like that of people being thrown through windshields, but on the other hand, I have to ask myself: Is that really something that needed to be legislated? Was it something that really 
need it to be a law? Did you need to click it or receive a ticket or perhaps subject your vehicle to a, a, a subsequent search and perhaps a, a subsequent death? So I thought about it and said, what could be a sillier law that I could use to shine light on this sort of uh, nanny state enforcement, this sort of uh, carrot because it's good for you and a stick that we're going to hit you on the head with uh, if you don't comply. And I did come up with toothbrushing, mandatory toothbrushing. And so I linked to, you know, brush your teeth. It's the law. And, <laughs> and uh, some of my earliest campaign uh, literature actually mentions that. Uh, I came up with the, the, the kernel of the idea back in 87 when I ran for mayor of Baltimore. And then over the years, it it slowly expanded. Um and then ultimately, it was in uh, in 2012 on C-SPAN during that lesser-known candidate debate that I was able to launch it into the world, into a very viral moment. And uh, it was indeed a, a very special thing. And of course, that's one. Okay, so that's one of the many planks that I've known for. Uh, number two of is, and of course, you know, the mandatory toothbrushing law is, is indeed about, you know, it's the nanny state, but then it quickly slips into a dystopian nightmare. And, and that's sort of uh, part of the way my imaginary world works, I guess. Uh, number two, of course, is uh, zombie preparedness. Uh, the only candidate who is fully prepared for the imminent uh, zombie invasion. Uh, but I, I top that off by wanting to harness the awesome power of zombies uh, for energy by utilizing the latest in giant hamster wheel technology. It's all there in my uh, book, I Pony Blueprint for New America, of course. Yes, yeah, your mission. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Clean, green. Uh, they're, they're just a, a, a carbon um, re renewable resource. Um, true, they they smell really bad, but we try and dip them in uh, polyurethane before we put them on. That's <laughs> part of processing. It I mean, coal, coal plants much. smell bad too. So yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, it can't, certainly can't smell as bad as a, a tree pulp plant yeah. or something because they really brutal smell. Or an uh, insert New Jersey joke here, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> so that that's part of my energy program, yes. Uh, number three, of course, is uh, go. I promise the only candidate promise to go back in time and kill baby Hitler. Bold. Um, so there is that. And of course, uh, you know it's uh, well, it's it's your basic ethics uh, thought experiment, but I've incorporated it into my platform. And it has had uh, a lot of legs. Uh, the last election cycle in 2016, an enterprising reporter asked Jeb Bush if he would go back in time and kill baby Hitler and put him in the position of having to answer that. Are and, there uh, any other acts of pre-crime that you would stop? Well, I have a whole uh, whole list of uh, baby tyrants that I will be uh, <laughs> infant side, uh, but is is justifiable when it uh, violates the nap so uh, incredulously. Uh, I mean, <laughs> baby Mao, baby Mao, baby Stalin, yes. Pol Pot, King Ferdinand. I'm uh, all of them. They're all getting whacked as babies, as babies. <laughs> Because they're so much easier to kill back then. Well, yeah, no, clearly. That's, that's the premise that of the, the, whole, of the whole question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they look less bodyguards. Uh, they don't have yeah. a bunker yet, probably. So, out of all of your platforms, which is the most, um, and maybe it's just your hat, but in terms of policy issues, which is the most controversial amongst the libertarians? I would have to say the uh, free ponies for all Americans. Uh, How strange that is, because that seems to me. Platform. That's the most joyful one. 
Also liberating. I mean, you get, you know, your uh, dependency off of fossil fuels for Mm -hmm. transportation. You get all that great pony uh, poop that helps, uh, you know, keep and uh, revitalize the uh, soils depleted from petrochemical fertilizers, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. It's a, jo- it's a jobs creation program. It's going to create lots and lots of jobs. Uh, the, you know, the buggy whip uh, maker. I mean, who's ever I mean, that that's a job that they teach you about is an extinct job. But we're going to bring that back. Yeah, I'm going long uh, on gonna, buddy, buggy whips. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to retrofit uh, Detroit to uh, produce uh, pony carts. It's going to be the I mean, it's, it's really a, a simple enough thing to visualize. I mean, you're driving down the highway. All you have to do is just imagine that all those cars are not cars, but pony-drawn carts. And you're in a pony-drawn cart. And, you know, maybe you're going about half the speed because the uh, top speed of a pony cart's about 37 miles an hour. Uh, so life will be a little bit slower, but, you know, hey, we don't need no roads where we're going. The only and, thing uh, that seems more convenient to me than us replacing our cars with ponies is if we also replaced our identification system with ponies. Do you think you could wrap that into the... So, so, yes, it, because it is a federal pony identification system, uh, but you yes. must have your pony with you at all times. That's exactly uh, what we need. Could, do you think maybe we could just call it Universal Basic Pony Program? <laughs> if that maybe you know, like you know, get some of that Andrew Yang action going, you know, like by calling it Universal Basic Pony. I think so. <laughs> yeah, with with, with with blockchain technology, perhaps. right? Yeah, <laughs> on the pony chain. <laughs> It's all there. The ledger of this is all there. Some people will ask me, you know, Vermin, are we really going to literally use ponies as currency? And I tell these people, what, are you insane? Until we can make them really, really small, that is. Right. <laughs> You're not going to be able to carry 20 ponies on you wherever you go. Yeah, I know. You need, yeah. you need pocket ponies. Not full size, but if you have little, little enough to fit in a purse or a little stable purse or a little... Uh, uh, pony card or, or something um but you, that's just one of the many possibilities because once again we must keep in mind that it is it's it's purely a, an exercise of imagination and make-believe um but the beautiful thing about it is that is part of uh the kit and caboodle part of my campaign as part of the the thing that uh, people love so much because they they want in on the pretend action they, you know, they want to think about what color their pony will be and what they're going to name it and how many legs it will have and, and what flavor it's going to be and, and <laughs> all of these things. Um, because uh, it, it is this uh, – the residents of these, these simple yet elegant and, and amazing platforms that, that have allowed me to accrue uh, such a, an amazing level of notoriety uh, by, you know, taking it to the streets. Because once again, of course uh, – you know, my, my candidacy has not just been, uh, you know, satirical notions or uh, it, it's certainly not corporate comedy by any means because the, the uh, it's been street based. It's been bringing it in, into the real world, um, going to the New Hampshire primary. I, I think a, a big part of it is that I found this little niche running for president. It's just this little tiny niche. Um, you know, maybe a thousand people every four years uh, go for it. Uh, but by finding these very unique angles to work and going up to the New Hampshire primary where essentially every uh, uh, every one of uh, every last one of the duopoly candidates is up there so you have 20 uh, or plus candidates they all have campaign headquarters they all have campaign staffs they all have campaign buses they all have campaign events and they are bouncing right after Iowa that last 10 days they, it is crazy up in New Hampshire and media from around the world and around the country is there and so it's very easy to hijack the proceedings, um, you know, to interact with the uh, with the real duopoly candidates and throw these crazy questions at them and see how they will respond or try and, you know, uh, 
prevent them from uh, do you know it's like I, I stopped in front of a Pete Buttigieg's uh, vehicle this go round you know just put my hand up and wouldn't let him pass and, and <laughs> <laughs> so you know if, if you're Thank creative you for your service <laughs> so you know if you have a, a level of creativity and, and, a, and a level of chutzpah and a, a level of uh, uh, testicular or ovarian fortitude um, and are willing to uh, to push it on, in this limit you know I, I have done very well because ultimately the past 30 years, you know, I, I would spend like 10 days up in the New Hampshire primary a week at the various, at the two duopoly conventions and maybe a week at the, uh, inauguration. And of course doing the rodeo crowd control protest, uh, stuff, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is eminently uh, more important and more immediate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but they, they go hand in hand almost, you know, the, the yeah. satirical, uh, humor has allowed me to be more effective when it comes to trying to uh, joke on the cops and things like that. Uh, yeah. Right. And also, um, you're, you're you're a person of note, so I imagine you know, like you're able to uh, you know direct a certain amount of attention uh, in useful ways uh, in a crowd situation. Oh, absolutely. I, I think they're less like less likely to take me away. I think common wisdom is if they arrest Vermin Supreme, the people will get very angry. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. In some situations. So that, yeah, there is that. I mean, it, it's it's essentially a, it's a whole package. It's a, it's a skill set uh, that I've developed uh, over my. I don't. I hesitate to call it a career, but it it's my journey. And journey sounds uh, hackneyed and cliched. So I'm not really sure how to identify what I've been doing, uh, but I, I say it is the culmination of this skill set and uh, a lot that I learned in the. Uh, uh, was it the Rainbow Gatherings? Are y'all familiar with the Rainbow yeah, Gatherings? Yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. met a uh, a guy that met you when I, I was telling him about your campaign, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I know him from the Rainbow Gatherings." <laughs> I actually forget his name. It was this dude I used to smoke back with back in uh, college. <laughs> so yeah, I mean the, the Rainbow Gatherings, uh, as you know, are they're a temporary autonomous zone. You know, up to ten, twenty thousand hippies in the woods, and and um, it's it's a uh, it's not a free for all, but it is anarchy. And it is anarchism in action, and it is an anarchistic organism. It doesn't identify itself as such, uh, but that is the way that I have perceived it and come to understand it. And um, you know, me and my wife have been attending them for some thirty years, and, and it's where I learned uh, almost everything that I know about practical anarchism on such a such a large scale. And um, it's where I learned to be able to be a clown, where I, I honed my skills of being a goofball and, and willing to uh, do any stupid thing that pops into my head that might make people laugh. I was able to learn a lot about uh, audience, uh, working audiences uh, by you know addressing the circles and the, and the councils and uh, hosting the talent shows and the gong shows and, and all of those things. And uh, after several years, probably... I don't know, you know, three, four, five, six years, maybe. Uh, I also came to the understanding and realization because at Rainbow, things happen. The only reason, that, the only way that things happen is because people come together and realize that they need to happen and make them happen. You know, oh, uh, we need some uh, firewood for the fire. Who will go collect the firewood? And people go out and collect the firewood. Who will chop these vegetables for dinner? Who will knead the dough? Who will keep the... Uh, who will build the ovens? Who will keep the fire stoked? Uh, who will go dig some shitters? Who will haul some water? Um, 
and all of these things. Uh, who will lay down miles of water pipe? Uh, who, who will organize this workshop or that workshop? And so all these things happen. Uh, who will do parking? Who will greet the people coming in? And I came to realize that one of the other things we provide is security. And that we call ourselves, uh, or we, we appropriate the Sanskrit uh, cultural term, uh, Shate Sina, which I believe means peacekeeper. Maybe it means a big old donut. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but essentially, I started uh, putting my skills towards the security aspect of, uh, of the Rainbow Gathering. And as you can imagine, there's so many campsites, there's so many neighborhoods, um, there's so many people there uh, from all walks of life and attitudes, and, and sometimes there's frictions. And so the Shanti Sina peacekeepers uh, try and uh, smooth things out. Uh, uh, it, it's essentially a glorified camp counselor, uh, but it also involves uh, really heavy crisis intervention things at times. So you and, play uh, the, the role of the voluntary, you know, police, for lack of a better word, within our modern it, society. Right. I, 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 and you don't want to say security because that, that has its own connotations. Uh, but we are providing security for ourselves. and. Um, it's 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 much needed, and it, it's oftentimes it's very effective. It, it certainly has its limits, but it's a part of a the learning experience, learning to live in in such a large scale community, and trying to uh, go along with it and uh, and deal with it. How many people and, did you say uh, are at the Rainbow Gatherings? Uh, out west, uh, sometimes between uh, ten up to twenty thousand. Uh, they've they've gotten a little small over the years. Uh, if they're out east, maybe five to seven thousand. A lot depends on the site and, and where the location is. This year it will be in Idaho, first week in July every year. Uh, of course, with the p- pandemic, th- there's no telling what could happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Know, we're, we're in a totally different world right now. Yeah. How are you holding up? Uh, very well. Very, I'm, I'm doing well. It's, it's uh, definitely a change of the, changing the plans for the campaign. Uh, a lot of the conventions are being canceled. Um, uh, so we're having to come up with new methods of reaching the delegates and uh trying to see swing them our way if you will what do you think about uh uh, i've heard many people floating the idea of uh doing a write-in uh ballot system uh you know in the in the coming months uh to finish out the primary for the you know mostly speaking on the democratic uh side suggesting that this would be a better and you know healthier way to uh allow the citizenry to vote well, the, the Iowa caucus app worked really great. <laughs> yeah, let's just use that. Yeah. Maybe we could use that. Oh, man. my God. Yeah, some shadow apps. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I don't have I have no doubt that uh, there could be some groovy uh, blockchain technology thing that could make it a secure system and, and voting like that to a certain extent. Um, sure, one person, one code, one, you know, you something tied to your social security number. I, I don't really know how it would work because I am not tech like that. But, uh, you know, I could see it. I think a lot of people have been sort of seeing that as an ultimate place to end up for uh, voting and the like, you know, voting online. Why not? It could be a, something that we could do every day or, you know, it could be a, a real direct, direct democracy tool. Um, I was just about so, to ask you know, about I that, think, actually. Do you think that, you know, I know you're the tyrant we can trust and you do know what's best for us. But um, do you think that the idea of direct democracy in a you know nation state, for example, like the United States, 350 million people is like a reasonable way to sort of transition out of this oligarchy? Maybe. It sounds a little frightening also. There's <laughs> like a whole lot, whole lot of stupid people yeah, in America. Yeah, a whole lot riding on good decisions. 
That's we've had this yeah. conversation on our show before, but I have often said that there are lots of decisions that I don't really trust. If I think of every single person who lives in my community, there are some things that I don't want the that majority to have to decide for me. Yeah, um, Barb. I, mean, I, I, I would I would be okay with so, you know something like a, a comprehension quiz, like what one of those uh, uh, reading quizzes where they would you have to read what the the issue was and maybe have to answer a few questions to you know show that they have a comprehension and understanding before they could move on to the actual voting on it interesting uh, I, think, I think something like that might be uh useful at least to, to have some idea that people have some idea what the hell they're voting on so if, i I don't, I don't want this to get too i don't want this to get too serious but like what about too late. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Sorry, we got into the details. Yeah, we, We're down in the weeds. Oh, no, we, it happened. got my other character. Sorry, Serious Vermin. <laughs> yeah. Serious like, is nowhere near as fun as the exciting, funny Vermin. And, right. and I, uh, sad, sadly, uh, all this campaigning for the Libertarian nomination has forced me into the position where I've had to become this more serious character. Uh, it, it's a little more... sad for the fans, but... I'm. I think I'm glad to get serious vermin because yeah, I mean I could watch a YouTube video and see you know your, the your yeah <laughs> which you know I rewatched today in preparation for this interview but I I'm glad okay. to actually have you watched the movie uh, Who Is Vermin Supreme Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I've okay. definitely seen okay. most of it I got, I got the shirt actually that came with getting that it's one of my favorite shirts. Yeah, David yeah. Went, for two years in a row David. Uh, went yeah, I, as you for Halloween, yeah. just for I don't know if that's. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have a photo of that somewhere. Yeah, you, I have yeah. a couple. Oh, of photos sent of me one. Have I seen? Have you sent me one? Have uh, seen it? I don't think I have. I'll I'll, I'll have to do that. I ha- oh, please I have do. A yeah, couple yeah. but uh, uh, so the the the, the question the, the too serious question that I wanted to ask was you know like um given the time that we're in and it really does seem like there's someone needs to occupy the the high office of like you know the death machine right like someone ha- has to control this thing because even if no one does it it might cause more death right yeah but like how do you uh how do you feel now about like using the platform of a presidential campaign for the uh you know the, the kind of um art that you do like uh, have you changed your mind about like or like is your are your thoughts evolving on how you uh approach the role of a presidential candidate well, this year, this year, as I, I guess I did, I never got to the, the final point. Uh, I guess I got oh, meandering there. Is that yeah? This year is a very, very different year. This is the first year that is I have ever run an actual bona fide, genuine, real campaign. Uh, this is a campaign that has that I was essentially recruited to run. My campaign manager Desiree reached out oh, over a year ago, probably close to a year and a half ago, wanted to know if I was interested in running a serious campaign for the nomination of the uh, Libertarian Party. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? I'm not fully knowing what it really entailed, um, but it has entailed over a year of, of attending uh, ver- a, a number of different state conventions, traveling all over the country. It's entailed raising money to make that possible. Um, I've raised more money for this last uh, this campaign this last year and a half uh, than I spent on every other previous campaign combined. Wow. Uh, I mean, really, I, I, in previous years, I'd spend about $3,000 on a campaign, 1000 bucks to get on the ballot, and the rest was bumper stickers and gasoline. Uh, but this year, I, I've declared, a, you know, raised over $32,000 uh, the last couple quarters and spent it all uh, on travel mostly and uh, bumper stickers and, and things of that. And uh, so that that's very different. You know, I have a campaign staff of, of 30 uh, 
people and uh, working on it. And and most are, are libertarian, and they're all principled libertarians. And you know, it it seems to be a real campaign. And the only way that I can gauge it as such is the enthusiasm uh, that these actual real life longer than libertarians and than I have been involved in the party and all that. Uh, truly believe that uh, leading with the Vermont Supreme candidacy as the nominee of the Libertarian Party has great benefits for the party. Uh, they believe very strongly that out of the current crop of candidates uh, that I am much more likely to come uh, close to or, or likely to get 5% of the general election vote, uh, that I can bring in a whole lot of young people, and that I can uh, expose a whole lot of people to uh, the notion of, of liberty and, and what libertarians are about, because obviously the libertarians have a, in my, from my experience, they have a huge PR problem. Uh, they have a, a lot of people uh, look at them and they just perceive it to be this right-leaning monolith. They, they, they there's all these stereotypes of the, um, you know, got mine, fuck your, fuck you, uh, you know, selfishness and and all of these things. They, there's so many uh, negative tropes uh, related to to libertarians. Uh, that it really took me years and years uh, to really figure out that, uh, oh, I guess I was libertarian. I, I didn't even know it. Um, you know, I, I used to do a bit uh, because, you know, I come from the, the left anarchist uh, perspective. Uh, I come from, uh, I cut my teeth on the streets uh, with all the left anarchists and the, the rainbow anarchists and uh, of that. Uh, but when it, when, it, when it finally came down to it, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever read the uh, Libertarian Party platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, there's a lot to agree with. I mean, yeah. the, the Venn diagram, uh, is overlaps quite a bit, uh, yeah. with uh, a lot of my core, uh, basic values. And how about the greens, uh, si- similar kind of Venn diagram overlapping with the libertarian. It, very true. Very, very true. And so I think if we can all focus on, on these things that we totally have it in common and work towards those goals, uh, uh, we have a great, much greater potential uh, at achieving these goals. Do you feel like you'll be uh, at all um, competing with Bernie Sanders voters who aren't interested in voting for Biden or Trump? Is that do you see that as like a kind of constituency you'd like to key into? Well, the, the thing is, I, I believe that young people are uh, poly flexible, as in politically fec- flexible, and um, you know they're they're young. They're, they're looking around. They're trying to make sense of the world. They're they're looking for. Uh, you know, things that make sense to them. And they see something like, you know, universal government, uh, government run universal health care. And they think, well, that, that sounds good. And, um, you know, it, it's like I, I make this quip that if uh, if the kids don't learn about libertarianism from libertarians, they're going to hear about it from the socialists. <laughs> and, uh, well, we, as, as, you know, street anarchists, I'm sure you have a lot of overlap with the socialists as well in terms of, you know, their overall goals and, and, you know, what they're trying to do to achieve them. And even like the democratic socialists are like, you know, a lot better than the democratic party, a lot better than the Republican <laughs> party. Uh, you've read their newspapers. <laughs> so, 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 you know, as far as like, you know, uh, Medicare for all and healthcare, universal government uh, healthcare, um, you, ideally universal global healthcare uh, being like, you know, a, a demand of a lot of on the left, including myself. Um, what's your take on uh, Medicare for all? I know you've are, uh, been tweeting about things such as like um, uh, health co-ops or. Yes. I mean, uh, it's, as an anarchist, I've always believed that the state is a terribly 
is our enemy number one but but the state is is an impediment to us existing in in freedom um it's it's a it's a roadblock it's it's running control over us so i i believe that anything that the government is involved in is essentially un ungood double plus ungood <laughs> by definition regardless of the consequence like if, if you know if you look at the the proposed plans compared to you know the, the way that many other countries have a national health system that is you know single payer uh that are being put forth by people like bernie sanders it seems like at least a form of harm reduction to input, put that in place and it's definitely not without outside of the uh realm of political possibility um so I also look forward to a future without a state, but like right now I'm also trying to look out for everybody in, you know, my neighborhood that doesn't have health insurance and is, you know, needs to be able to go to the doctor without going into uh, bankruptcy. There is certainly a lot to be said for that. Uh, but once again, as, as I've been saying on Twitter, and of course uh, I, I present myself as sort of a, a utopian as a, as a, so as some, we're trying to get to this post state society. Yeah. And, um, Yes. Uh, how do we get there and how do we disengage from it? And I've always been trying to propose the idea that in order to successfully disengage from the government, uh, that we do need to build up the alternative structures and uh, that they do have to be controlled by we, the people, and not not the government. Uh, and, uh, and it is the amount of waste that the government uh, is involved in any time they attempt to, to run anything uh, is going to be a huge disservice, I think, and, and a huge waste. Uh, but if you, you know, compare that to what the private sector does through the corporation action and, you know, the, the profit-seeking motive um, of which, like, you know, the, like has rendered the system into mostly what it is today, like that is also totally barbaric and horrible and it can't brutal. work, you yes, know? It's a. Uh, I think it's a uh, part and parcel of the of the same thing. I think it's the government and the corporations uh, working absolutely hand in hand. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that the government has that massive buying power and they just gave up the ability to negotiate drug prices or or disallowing people to import drugs from Canada or or uh, disallowing uh, you know enforcing the patents that uh, allow people to jack up the price of insulin to uh, huge prices. Uh, yeah, there is so many things that the government is currently doing that is is working against uh, a much more efficient and less bureaucratic and more uh, effective healthcare system that I don't really trust them to pull it off in a way that is not just lining the pockets of their donors and cronies and the the corporations that are maximizing it for profit. Now. If if I'll say I'll throw out if the government wanted to spin off some sort of a nonprofit organization that ran the whole freaking thing, maybe. But I mean, until uh, until that happens, I you know. Now on the other hand, uh, theoretically, uh, uh, the marketplace should should provide sure it should. <laughs> um, but once again, we have to take away all the you know, the, the government enforcements that are preventing it from delivering the services in an efficient manner. I, I saw the other day that 30% of healthcare costs are, are pure bureaucracy. So that, that's a third off the top that is uh, just bureaucrats shuffling papers and, and what have you. 
So then, and, in the in the sh- you you mentioned like you, maybe you'd be okay with some sort of universal program if the government spun off some sort of independent uh, nonprofit organization. That, that 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 has me wondering. So like what? So you're you're correct in saying like thirty percent waste in bureaucracy for private firms. And I think Medicare it's like closer to like two to four percent, something like that. Significantly less. Yeah, yeah. and um, what? Um, I guess I, I'm asking, what is the difference between like, is it a, what is it, what is the actual difference between like a healthcare system that effectively has, would probably have a monopoly, but it is a nonprofit instead of technically by the government? Or I guess maybe the simplest way to answer, ask this question is what does uh, a left anarchist or a left libertarian uh, um, healthcare system look like in the short and medium term? Because the long term, I think we all are agreeing that we need some sort of like post-state system, wherever you know, all for all. But in the in the short and medium term, how does it differ from uh, like the socialist Medicare for all system? Well, ultimately, it would be getting the, the state uh, out of the, a lot of places where it shouldn't be. Uh, specifically, let, let's say the, the case of midwives, for example. Um, you know, midwifery is a perfectly safe and effective uh, uh, type of at-home birth, and yet uh, a number of states just flat out don't allow it and instead force uh, people to go into the hospital to give birth, which just costs fuck, it's so much more. It, it's insane. Um, you know, I mean, I think, it, you know, I hate to be like one of those old boomer types that's like, well, back in the day, things were so much simpler. <laughs> uh, I, I remember when we we had house calls when, when the doctor would come to visit you. Um, so I, I I don't know. It, it seems to be a lot. It has to do with the whole insurance industry operation scam that it is. I mean, maybe a lot has to do with the uh, all the uh, expensive new technology, but I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the uh, you know uh, the, the that whole motive of uh, ordering tests that don't need to be done and uh charging so much for for an aspirin in the hospital i mean where you're paying 20 bucks for a band-aid uh, uh that sort of thing is outrageous if we could just cut that down to something more manageable more realistic uh, cost effective back back when i was a young person uh people would uh, they would well people would ties to the church let's say back at back at a certain point in america uh, there was a, the church uh, created uh, private charity hospitals. And how did they finance those hospitals? They were financed by the parishioners of these various faiths that were kicking down uh, 10% of their income uh, to the to the church to do just that. Uh, so that that is a, a community-based uh, model that has nothing to do at all with the government. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them... Uh, went out of business or got eaten up or, or consolidated or, or they had to sell them to, uh, to pay off the sex scandal, uh, bullshit. Um, so I think there are examples in the not so recent, uh, not so distant past, uh, that certainly proved a certain viability, uh, through charity, uh, we'll call it mutual aid, or I guess they were, they were in the mindset of it being more a charity thing. Um, but there is that. I mean, how, how do we scale up, you know, things as wellness clinics and, uh, uh, well, okay, let's take a look at uh, what went down after uh, 
uh, Katrina. Let's uh, let's bring forth the uh, Common Ground Collective. Oh yeah, uh, where all of, there was no there was no infrastructure. There was no medical infrastructure, and what went what helped fill the vacuum? Uh, voluntary mutual aid. That's how our, I learned to uh, drywall. The Common Ground. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so they, they were providing medical services. Uh, the Wavelength Cafe after uh, Katrina, uh, we, we all of a sudden were providing medical services. We, we, we attracted uh, medical students. Um, what you see uh, these days, which is woefully inadequate, but it's an amazing example. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen these uh, roving uh, clinics that, uh, you know, up to like thousands of medical uh, students and volunteers put together and they roll into a town and all of a sudden uh they offer their services they 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 have giant uh, smile clinics where they'll uh provide uh, dental care to the citizenry so uh that's another example of something that uh, is not being run by the government it's being run by on a purely voluntary uh mutual aid basis uh the people coming together and uh and doing the things that need to be done uh, from street medics to uh, community uh, uh, organizations, community collectives or, or whatever uh, people, co- you know, I mean, there's the, uh, a lot of people are subscribing to doctors now, uh, you know, they, they think because things obviously need to change. And a lot of people are experimenting with a lot of different uh, possibilities. And uh, yeah, there's a few, there's a few rounds. Once again, I, I'm not, I'm not a wonk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not a pundit, but but also on the other hand, I'm a presidential candidate, so I suppose I should be able to explain these positions uh, with ease. So, well, I, I got to ask you: you've probably entertained the idea of uh, you know something happening where you know two thirds of the population that can vote but doesn't just says fuck it, and Verm Supreme is elected president of the United States. What's your day one plan? Ah, taking that day off. Fuck, man. <laughs> 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 gonna be, gonna, oh, yeah. gonna yeah. be totally hungover. Gonna totally be in shock. Um, uh, it's just gonna be me, I, me and my ponies wandering around the White House <laughs> wondering what the, what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I, I think you get to like redo the, you get to redo the the Oval Office, right? So, what are you putting in the Oval Office? I'm gonna change the shape of it. Oh I'm hell gonna, yeah, yeah. Ovals are done. <laughs> You know the oval's okay, but yeah. yeah. What's your favorite shape? Uh, well, I I do like uh, octagons. I yeah, say, but that would uh, be an easy uh, switch. Are you, are you talking two or, two or three dimensions? Two or three dimensions. Well, that is ooh, key. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess like it's not an oval office, right? It's actually a cylinder. It's a it's an ovoid cylinder office. It's <laughs> really what it is. A, a spherical office. Yeah, yeah. A perfect sphere. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what um. Uh, uh, so what about the decor inside though? Like what, uh, you just like maybe burn the rug or what, what about the resolute desk? What are you going to do with the resolute uh, desk? I think I get one of those really nice paintings, like a a one-eyed dog cartoon. Right. Uh, I I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about. It's it's hanging on your wall there. I can see it. Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. uh, That's a, uh, Chris's brother, uh, does that. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Great. Yeah. I, I would ha- it would all be memes. It would definitely be a whole bunch of screens with a whole bunch of memes, and they, they would be constantly changing. Uh, I think would be good. Yes, that's huh. what we really need. What kind of things would you declassify? I think everything. Yeah. What, what, what do I care? Right. Yeah. Just go with all of it. So then, this uh, um, uh, 
really brings me, I think, to the, the question that I think was like, you know, it's sort of the elephant in the room here is, uh, um, right. do you think, <laughs> yeah, that one, uh, uh, did Jeffrey Epstein kill himself or was he murdered? Oh, that's a, that's a very, that's a heavy hitting question. Yeah. Steven. Okay, we're going to put you on, on record. I don't think he killed himself. Yeah. I think, I think the state murdered him one way or another. I mean, now, now not to say he didn't have it coming. Because that motherfucking obviously had it coming. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's not like pedophiles don't get fucking iced in the joint, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's that's real. And uh, I'm sure if he was in the general pop, it would have happened. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's mighty suspicious, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think it is. Uh, what, it, what, if you had access to the American nuclear arsenal, what happens to little St. James? Maybe I'm Fire all your guns at once and explode into space. Oh, <laughs> you know th- that actually brings me to uh, one of my favorite platforms that you're offering, which is to take away every American's gun and replace it with a better, a better gun, better one, a much better one. And really, it's quite simple because all you have to do is really supply the top, the best gun owners, better guns, and then it's sort of a hand-me-down uh, operation from there on in. Okay, yeah, oh, that that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's also a lot, much lower carbon. Uh, footprint there. Zero oh, reusing. Yeah. Yeah. Much much smaller guns, sure. Yeah. Hey, but but then that also means that people without what about people without guns? How do you uh Well they'll they'll get somebody's guns anyway, you know. Okay. So we'll get the shittiest guns is what you're they, saying. They'll get, they'll get the shittiest they'll, they'll get the little three D guns that don't work too well. Oh, man. <laughs> we had an episode about this. We did. They're yeah. working better and better. They it's are getting pretty crazy. Yeah. They are getting pretty uh, it's getting better. It's getting better all the time. I've now had two friends uh, I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks, just checking in with them, who have asked me if I plan to get a gun. So that's... Um, Do you? No, I don't have any plans to. I'm not opposed to people having guns, but I just don't think I I want a gun. But um, I it does. it's getting more appealing, I suppose. Yeah. How about you, Vermin? You strapped? Uh, nope, not so much. I, I, you know... Uh, never been a big uh, gun carrier. Um, I, I I have carried them before, in the you know, but more in, uh, for uh, uh, presentation, if you will. I did the when I went to register to be president of America up in New Hampshire in 2016. I had a whole shit ton of guns on me. Uh, <laughs> Important, smart. New Hampshire is open carry, and the Live state house die. is usually open carry. And theoretically, I should have been able to bring it right up to the state, uh, the office of Bill Gardner and uh, walked into his office, gave him my money and signed the paperwork and been totally armed. But because Ben Carson was signing up uh, at that time, the Secret Service had set up a a sterile zone. Mm -hmm. And I pretty much knew that going in. And so I knew that they were going to ask me to disarm uh, because I had a little golf cart I was pulling, which had a bunch of shotguns in it, and I had a Mouseburger pump action on my back, and a Glock on my hip, and a Smith and Wesson duct tape to the outside of my boot, and uh, <laughs> ready for the zombies. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I had a, I had a whole lot of guns. And uh, this last election, uh, November, just this past November, we had an armed pony parade, uh, which was a, a vision that I had had for quite some time, and we did. We had a horse, we had a pony, and we had guns. Don't let your dreams be dreams. And, uh, you know, sometimes I like to, you know, sure, I'll shoot for the commercials uh, to uh, pander to my gun-loving base. And I, I think that's very important. And, uh, yeah. If you, if you owned a personal gun, what would you name it? 
the shooty or, or sparky maybe Ooh, sparky, sparky. oh yeah like sparky i'm name. a fan of shooty yeah sparky shooty <laughs> my first cat's name was kitty so i like yeah. naming things after themselves shooty mcshoot face <laughs> so uh, my favorite piece of street theater that i saw of you was uh your Jimi hendrix tribute um uh, using a megaphone and oh yeah i've uh i do that inside too it's it's a quite a Sometimes I ask quite a bit of my audience, I will say. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is definitely one of the more, I, I, don't, I hesitate to say aggressive, but it, it, a little bit is. Because that, that is one of the things that I have discovered is that the humor has allowed me to be a lot more aggressive uh, uh, than I normally could get away with, huh. yeah. quite he frankly. In a lot of situations, if I was uh, going up to like Ted Cruz or Chris Christie or uh, Bob Dole or you know any of these other candidates I've, I've gone up to, and uh, and I wasn't, you know, wacky. It would be very aggressive. And, <laughs> and, you and actually... uh, no, it would be shut down immediately. Yeah. You know, it would uh, someone would intervene a lot heavier. Yeah, you had you had gotten pushed aside uh, when you uh, said hi to Milo. I, I saw on video. Oh yes, yes, yes. I sure did. One of his uh, American Prayer or American Patriots or Patriot Prayer. Or, oh, what one of those Patriot groups? I, I didn't know which one it was, but they, they were gooning for him and. Uh, it was really that was really a pretty amazing moment. I mean, because, you know, the, the uh, BPD had kept us totally separated, the two sides, uh, the whole march. But then on that corner, for so, you know, they, it, it was a, it was a, we all mixed up. And all of a sudden there was Milo and it's like, oh, it's Milo. And I just sort of <laughs> jumped, jumped in front of him because, you know, earlier in the thing, I was giving him a whole hard time. Uh, Milo, I'm with your, your Bill collection agency. Uh, we haven't heard from you in a long time, and uh, you really need to make some arrangements to pay these bills of yours. And um, that's why you and, don't buy coke on an installment plan. And, uh, so then, yeah, when I jumped up in his face, then I got shoved out of his face, and uh, that was something. That was quite a parade, douchebag pride, man. I, I picked up. Some, I got spit on that day, for goodness' sake. Oh my god, that's terrible. That, You're like that the was, troops. That was gross. <laughs> it would be worse now with the COVID. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a Bio that's a bioweapon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I was going to ask, what's your favorite piece of street theater that you've participated in? Oh, jeez. Uh, the the McRib. You know the McRib one. Uh, I think so. Is that the with I forget his name, but the songwriter Rob, Rob Patillo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we and we have the McRib is back sign, and we have the giant uh, mangled fetus photos. Uh, <laughs> oh, we were, we were, we were confronting these anti-abortion protesters at the DNC in Charlotte, and um, it, it was really so – we walked by them, and, so, you know, they troll you. They're out to troll you, and they trolled me hard, and I went up, and I started getting very crude to him. I was giving him, like, all these, like, things that I had – was pretending, you know, how I was fantasizing, face-fucking him, and, and just, like, horrible things just to be really – you know, because – I, I didn't know. Uh, and then I, I felt I left. and I felt really bad because I, I that was a little mean. Right. And so then we went to our where we we're staying and we ha we saw this. We had this sign. Our host had the sign that said the McRib is back. And so we brought that sign out to the my, giant fetuses and started making up this story about how all the uh, McRibs are, are being made by giant mutant fetuses <laughs> being factory <laughs> fed uh, factory bred in Idaho. And I, I didn't know. Is that it, not it how they're made? Totally absurd. <laughs> and we litter bombed the fetuses. And uh, it was so goddamn hilarious. Uh, that that was very, very fun. Of course, uh, glitter bombing Randall Terry. 
uh, was another magical, magical moment. Uh, that was just hilarious. Did he do uh, anything in retaliation, or did he stay cool through the whole event? Uh, no, he just, uh, one of his boys threatened me uh, later on, on camera. Uh, well, but, yeah, he uh, turned his dad gay. I don't think it should be legal for you to <laughs> run around <laughs> turning people gay. I don't. Well, sadly, <laughs> his one son was gay, and he did, yes. and he, and Randall did disown him, and it was, uh, you know, he's a scumbag. Yeah. You know, that's why he had it coming, so, and, wow, the, the time when I got thrown out of the, uh, or just jacked up by Secret Service three times in a row in um, RNC in uh, New York. And uh, we got in there and started screwing around. And uh, I don't know, there's just so many, so many that the, the pony parade, having, you know, having a, to sue the city of Concord to have ponies up at uh, the Hillary Clinton book signing uh, thing. And, and then reading the uh, pony erotica to the, uh, to the Clinton supporters. <laughs> Uh, you know, and just try, you know, try going to the, oh, geez, there's no, there's so many. It's just too much. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 what, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick one. Yeah. A a formative one, 96 Chicago DNC. Um, it was the, the year that I was, uh, discovered the amazing thing that we, I was working this little funnel where the delegates were coming in and this cop comes up to me and this cop says to me, I'd like to ask you to leave. Huh. I'd like to ask you to move. And all of a sudden something clicked in my head and I said I said to him, Well, thank you very much. Thanks for asking. I'm very happy where I am. And that was that. Huh. I didn't hear from him again. Huh. And so that I that was I learned that magic phrase. So um Nice. Oh geez. Who, who has better goons, Democrats or Republicans? Uh Republican goons swing harder. Yeah. When when, uh, when the Santorum goons came out of uh Jillian's that time, uh, we slowed down the video, and this one goon had his knuckles taped up. He hit my uh, for uh, two of my campaign staffers, Babs and Flux, knocked them both to the ground. Wow! Um, it was it was pretty hairy, pretty scary. It was it was quite a fracas. Uh, Giuliani's goons were were pretty uh, skilled. Uh, if you watch that one, uh, if you type in Rudy Giuliani and Vermin Supreme, you'll see that uh, encounter. We haven't slowed down. Uh, three of them in unison. It was like. The first one shoves me back with his ass. The second one slaps my hand back. The third has his thumb under my armpit and and, and shoves me off. It was it was amazing. That sounds like some uh, Captain Kirk uh, fighting skills. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds weird. It was uh, it was so crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely mixed it up on the streets plenty of times. It's uh, I don't know. Life is funny. Bees make honey, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you're all a bunch of lefty anarchists? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, yeah, the socialists. Uh, I, I'm I'm less of a I'm I lean more towards socialists, but I'm anarcho curious. I usually say um, we're currently doing a reading series on Kropotkin, so we're um, so we've been really immersed in that. Um, yeah, Brittany's produced in producing an audio book, and we're releasing every uh, chapter at the end of uh, each of our episodes. Yeah, really. Yeah, that sounds very. Very cool. I like that. No, uh, Kropotkin is uh, uh, one of my influential uh, readings as, as a young person. The one that uh, that turned me on to uh, anarchism uh, and Emma Goldman and stuff like that for sure. And yeah. be- beard goals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're pretty. I usually like to say that we're uh, politically promiscuous. We we have lots of tendencies, and we're right. um, we're living. I think we're living in a very interesting time in history where there's not yeah. a clear path forward for what. 
um, you know, I, I, I'm mistrustful of people who, uh, seem to think that they have all the answers and I'm much more interested in people who are curious about trying new things. And, um, I think that's, yeah, that's sort of where we're at. The nice thing that I like about the libertarian party, uh, is that they welcome anarchists. I mean, there's no other political party that I'm, I'm blatantly aware of that uh, is, you know, has a, a, an explicit agreement between the anarchists and the minarchists that says, yeah, we'll work together towards dismantling the state. And when we get to a, a point where it's small enough, the, well, we'll figure it out from then. And uh, so there is that. And of course, the, the fact that it is not this uh, broad, you know, this monolith, this uh, right leaning monolith. No, it, it's a spectrum. Uh, and when I point that out to people, um, you know, and then, oh, yeah, we even have a libertarian socialist caucus. I mean, that just makes people really have to reassess what they think about the damn libertarian party. I know mm-hmm. my involvement in the libertarian party makes people have to reassess, the, you know, right, Vermin Supreme's involved. Really? What? They have to look at it twice. Uh, well, I, we've always complained that the Democratic Party is basically useless for workers because they have this incredibly broad tent where they try to serve, you know, totally different ideological and like material interests and therefore basically only serve the ruling class and serve as a essentially like, oh, here, kitty, kitty for like everybody who's left of that. Um, and uh, so one of the things that, you know, I find interesting about your uh your excitement for the Libertarian Party is the fact that they are a spectrum. It's like, what do you think is the particular use of a political party that is, you know, so ideologically and or like, you know, um, intent idiosyncratic? Well, I just like the, the, the idea that it is a possible, possibly viable mixer upper of third party uh, situation. I, I just think it's a, uh, bringing people a, a possible alternative. I, I, I like the fact that they they are the only political party uh, in which upon uh, that I could actually be considered uh, a candidate for as a nomination. I mean, that in and of itself, the fact that they have welcomed me and that a number of them, uh, of the Libertarian Party, I have supporters and, of course, my, my staff and uh, all that. Um, really believe that uh, absurdity and uh, humor is a, a legitimate and effective tool uh, towards uh, poking holes and making fun and shitting on the duopoly and the, the system at large and as a educational tool and as a, a demonstrational tool. And, um, I believe that ju- just that 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 they even give it a second thought, that they they even put it up for consideration. Uh, you know, this past year, I've been trying to convince the the people that it's not inconceivable uh, what I present to them and they, this offer that I'm putting on the table. Uh, so I think just the possibility that they are the only party open enough to even entertain the notion. Uh, that vermin supreme on the top of the ticket is a desirable or even a sensible thing. How could I not love that? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what would you say about what, to what extent is there a kind of class-based and, or like even anti-capitalist critique in the libertarian party? Well, I've got to say, naturally, I, I think the overwhelming understanding of the party is that, you know, you got 
got your ANCAPs, you got your capitalism. I think the perception is it's it's an overwhelming uh, capitalist supporting thing. But I think once again, I think what we discover is that a lot of the miscommunication between the uh, lefts and the rights are are these terms. You know, capitalism itself is it? Are you referring to a, a free market economy system or? Or I think something it's, else. It's mostly, or, I think, or, or, the uh, ownership of the means of production and the relationship of workers to those means in the sense that their life is dependent on them, but they'll never own them. And thus, they're, you know, constantly producing surplus labor that's being extracted by a minority of rich people for private profit and power that, you know, goes up exponentially while workers, you know, livings go up linearly in the best of scenarios. Well, I think that's fair. but i I entertain and i allow that labor is the critical part in that equation and i don't see uh, labor as not being an equal participant in that scenario i mean for me i mean all those workers have to do is you know boom strike boom unionize boom uh, use their uh, power as as a large group of workers to um, demand their working conditions. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think yeah. part of the anti-capitalist critique is that often the you know because worker power is so small relative. We just finished doing an episode on the um, first sustained women's union in the country, which ha- which began here in Troy, um, and Kate Mullaney, the huh. The CLU, the Colorado yeah, the Collar Laundry Union, and you know they were crushed by corporate interests. It wasn't the state that halted their organization efforts. It was the you know the manufacturers and the textile industry that just crushed them. Um, and so that and you know I think another element of our this show's anti capitalism falls in line with the critique of the wage system. Like I don't want to live in a society where every single person has to have a fit, able body that can be traded in for you know, a wage that then they have to use to purchase everything. Um, So I'm curious, just like what, if there are, I don't know, I don't, I have no good sense of how much of an anti-capitalist strain there is in the Libertarian Party with regards to those elements of like anarchism, the opposition to the wage system and the ownership of, you know, the means of production. Well, I would have to say that the, my feeling is the phrase itself, anti-capitalism is, is a dirty word in, uh, in the Libertarian Party, in the, in the, uh, sense that it's just divisive it's divisive it's all get out and it's gonna stir up uh, a whole hornet's nest of, of cranky uh, capitalists <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> yeah. i think that was sort where, of the, where, the whereas i believe that uh, uh, uh president what we present and uh, and once again uh, i don't know it's not really debating club it's a, but it, it's you know contradictory visions of, of uh, what a post-state society might look like and I believe that most uh, of the of the folks that that we are trying to work with agree with a basic premise uh, that um, they don't really care if uh, if the socialists want to have a socialist society over there or a socialist little union and uh, and uh, collectivize and and own things in common and all of those things. Like a socialist uh, sector of the economy would be fine. Yes, I don't believe that uh, most of the the folks that uh, who share this sort of vision of uh, post date utopia and people sort of getting along and and doing what they want to do to uh, organize 
is is totally fine. I don't think you, you find a lot of people who are so authoritarian as to say, uh, no, we will wipe out that type of uh, economic inclination and, and replace it with capitalism, pure and simple. Just don't see it. There, there's a certain flexibility and an openness to to these different ideas and uh, more so a preference, I believe, almost. Um, what we are working with in the Libertarian Party is the, uh, you're familiar with the Nolan chart, uh, the, the, where, you know, David Nolan came up with this idea and you, you plop yourself down on where you fit on this thing. And there's the upper right, the upper right authoritarian, upper left authoritarian, lower uh, left non-authoritarian and lower right unauthoritarian. Uh, we are trying to connect and uh, put forth the, the idea of bottom unity uh, within the Libertarian Party. Uh, we don't draw the line at uh, this, that, you know, you know, fascist or communist. No, it, it's are you anti-state? Um, you know, are you an anti-state socialist? Well, yes, we are. Uh, you know, are you anti-state capitalist? Yes, they are. You know, what kind of anarchist are you? I mean, I, I know for a fact both types of anarchists, you know, look at the other side and say, you aren't real anarchists. And, you know, fair enough. Uh, but but it's just real funny to hear from from the right anarchists now. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, and comms aren't really anarchists, and it's like you should hear what they say about you. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming for that toothbrush, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, uh, I mean, it's it, it quite a little dance here, you know, because, uh, you know, I've, I've got my left base and I've got my left anarchist base. And, oh, geez, I, I, I hate to alienate them uh, with, with some of my endeavors and, and dalliances uh, with these righty tighties a little bit. But like I say, uh, uh, it's the lower unity. It's the anti-authoritarian right, anti-authoritarian left. And, and uh, we have a lot of uh, folks like that uh, on our you know, my vice president, uh, a candidate, Spike Cohen, uh, a principled libertarian, a principled right libertarian, considered himself an anarchist, uh, an anarchist capitalist. But he 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 does. He has compassion. He has love. And he doesn't want to rip your fucking grandma's tracheotomy tube out tomorrow. Um, you know, there's well, a lot of good. people. I appreciate that. <laughs> Tell him thanks for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let let me assure you, there are many reasonable people left and right in the Libertarian Party. Granted, there are a number of hardcore wingnuts, and uh, there are uh, uh, some scary fucking shit going on in the, in the far right end of the party, uh, you know, beyond the party, but, you know, whatever. Of course, you know, we're, we're talking big L party libertarians as opposed to the little L's, and God help us all with a lot of those little L's uh, out there in the fringes. Yeah, uh, I assume you're referring to like white, white, white nationalists. nationalists. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, they're yeah. I mean, I, I chased one of them out of the party with a with an imaginary pie that time. Augustus Invictus. Uh, that was uh, good times. Yeah, you, you've been known to, uh, to 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 never ally with uh, Nazis, and uh, but this like you're making the discrepancy between the small L's who who claim that uh, ideology or you know political standpoint as basically a, a code word or, or cover up for you know what they really feel like and what they're really trying to organize around. Yes, I, I believe that uh, libertarianism is against those things. Libertarianism is not about fucking extremist bullshit. They, you know, there's an anti-bigotry plank in the fucking platform. It's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, fair it, enough. It, it, yanks my it yanks my crank and it yanks my chain. It's, uh, you know, people make those connections and stuff. 
Yeah, there was a guy I read about today that was stopped, I think, yesterday um, in a shootout. I think he was killed by the police, um, but he, he had apparently tried to uh, bomb a hospital that was dealing with this COVID uh, crisis. And um, he had, you know, gone to the FBI to, like, secure some part of his plan. And they, like, you know, got in a firefight and he died. Huh. I wonder if... Uh... Wonder, I, whenever I see those headlines, I wonder how much of it is entrapment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean if you went to the, yeah. Yeah. If the FBI is. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you <laughs> get in a shootout. Show me a trap jam, I'll show you a cop. You show me a, a bomb fucking plot, I'll show you an FBI agent. Yeah. 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 I guess I shouldn't make the assumption that just because he got in a shootout with the cops, that the cops didn't just open fire at him and they just pulled his gun. Like who knows? That yeah, never who happens. Knows. That, yeah, that, that happens a lot. Crazy. Yeah, but but, but happens. the guy, the guys, guys are self-proclaimed Nazis. So. Yeah, well, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not coming to fuck, his aid. Not, yeah. Fuck right wingers. Yeah, came up with it disturbed a little nest of those fucks uh, on the on the Twitter the other day. It was it's been years, but uh, this uh, per, Twitter with a rose in their handle uh, called my attention to this uh, person who had Vermin Supreme 2020 in their uh, in their little bio thing. And um, and they they had said some nasty shit. So I just said something fairly generic, like no time for hate or something. And and all of a sudden, uh, opened up this fu- this little nest of the little Nazi leaning Orthodox Christian was the title they were flying. But it's really weird. They this just name searched uh, hate <laughs> to like, find some cele- you know celebrities to fight with. I, I just know. love hate so much. <laughs> uh-huh. It's very weird. Very oh, weird. Man. It's good out there. Yeah. It, uh, you know, uh, do, do you have any, um, like, projections as to how America is going to handle this current uh, pandemic? Well, I'm, I'm calling for a debt jubilee. Yes. Right off the bat. I think we need to see a debt jubilee. Uh, just wipe out all debt right off the bat. Um, yeah, we, we, we have to figure out what we're going to do and what we're looking at. And, and I can't imagine that uh, people aren't uh, saying this is the opportunity this is the i mean e- every time there's a huge crisis uh, um, you know the the state's going to use that as an excuse to push their agenda and the clamp down and try and get more control over our lives and and and, and conversely and also it's an opportunity for for us the people and all like-minded individuals to figure out what we're going to do what things uh, what it's going to look like when we uh, come out of hibernation if you will i mean I, i'm looking at it like we are in this cocoon and we will be coming forth from this cocoon and i've been encouraging people to ultimately start uh, envisioning what they want it to look like what uh, what kind of society are we going to be creating participating in and making uh when when we're out of this fucking mess but yeah I don't. I think this. Uh, we have to look at it as an opportunity, um, and it's a. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a wake up call. Obviously, it's like why. Wow, yeah, I think normal people are are really looking at the power of the state and um, and the power of the individual and uh, the power of. Uh, I mean, there's just so many examples of what was perceived to be. Uh, just the way it was done normally, and and now it's not done that way, and and all of the things that were, you know, legislated against uh, that have now been opened up, and um, just the things that were considered necessary or the way things needed to be, and now they've been proven 
to not be needed or necessary at all. So it's going to be a very interesting moment because now we have to really decide, you know, what what things do we need to survive and what things do we not need anymore and what what will what will make it through the cut. And uh, how, yes, go ahead. Oh, uh, we were just, I was going to say that we were uh, noting for, we do at the end of the episode, uh, typically a wildflower. And our last episode one uh, was about how the environment basically like improved almost overnight as soon as everybody just stayed at home and was working from home not doing a lot of like the physical transport of like ourselves to like sit in different boxes when we already live in boxes to like, you know, I don't know, just anything we can do to ecologically help the earth right now seems to be also one of the things we should be doing because we're in a multitude of crises. We have, you know, COVID, which is like the most urgent because we're trying to flatten the curve and keep our healthcare system, you know, as beleaguered as it is from just totally collapsing under the weight of an exponentially growing sick population. Um, and we're also, you know, dealing with the crisis of climate change and ecocide. And that even if we were to change to electric vehicles overnight, we're still having a culture of consumption and destruction of the natural world that's going to render it, you know, unlivable in like 200, 300 years. And maybe even Good shorter. Good luck, kid! I'm out of here! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. What are, I would be interested to hear, Vermin, your thoughts on like climate change and ecocide and um, environmental issues. I don't know much about your, your positions on that. Well, my own personal positions are that we are doomed, doomed, doomed. Um, and I'm not, you know, once again, I think any time anybody looks at any of these issues, uh, they are so monumental. They are so overwhelming. They are so meta, mega and meta and so much larger than ourselves uh, that, it, you know, it, it calls into question our mortality our relationship with the universe, um, our relationship with humanity and and the planet and and all of these things. And it, it seems to create a great cognitive dissonance and it causes, it, it seems to, people just don't want to really think about it or do anything different about it. You know, it seems like, you know, people are just aware of it and they're just driving their car. I drive my car every, you know, Every day I drive my car, I think about it. It's like killing the planet, killing the planet, killing the planet. And you see everybody else do it. And, and I think it's on the back of their minds, too. So, I, you know, I, I wish us all the best of luck. And I think we can only attempt to, to live by example. But the machine has been so successful and the trajectory is at such a tipping point uh, that I personally don't have a lot of hope. I mean, I, I like to present a vision. I, I hear that I offer people hope. Um, and I, I hope that I can offer people hope. And I, I hope people can still be optimistic and, and be hopeful uh, in this uh, horrifying uh, hell of a landscape in which uh, we are trying to survive on a day-to-day -day basis with uh, everything aligned, uh, working against that uh, from the fact of just trying to scrape a living uh, to trying to change the world.
You said something earlier about how this moment can help reveal um, like a lot of assumptions that we make about what is necessary and how things should be done. And I think that really resonated with me. It made me think actually of um, David Graeber, who's an anarchist anthropologist, wrote uh, on bullshit jobs. Was it a book? It was a whole book, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it was first an essay and then a book. And then a book, yeah. yeah. And um, I feel like so much of like maybe what a lot of us might learn in this time of not going into offices and carrying on with the humdrum of like business as usual work life, that a lot of jobs are going to be revealed to be total utter bullshit that is not necessary. And I wonder what happens in a, in a, in a, in a, in a political model where you're trying not to use state intervention to solve those problems. But like what happens when jobs get, you know, innovated out and people, if you're still under a wage system, I don't know. I obviously am not asking for an answer to this question because it's not answerable for most people, but it does make me think of that phenomenon of just how much waste we have in the system as it exists. And that this slowdown will kind of reveal some of that, I think. I, I don't see how it can. No, it's going to be a, it seems like it's going to be a brave new world. It would be very disappointing if it, uh, if it just turns into some terrible, horrible de- depression, uh, dystopia, same old normal everyday life. People trying to catch up to what we lost in these, uh, several months of not doing anything. What do you think of the green new deal? I, I think, uh, Free Ponies for All Americans was indeed the original Green New Deal. Fair, <laughs> fair. But yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, uh, I think a lot uh, about what we need to do to make our lives actually viable in like a steady state, you know, way uh, while having a global civilization um, into the next several hundreds of years and like what being a responsible human being (laughs) even means trying to like navigate what we have to do individually in the system and also you know advocate and try and build uh, a world that's actually like able to be sustained in any way yeah well let me let me say that i think one of the things that i found most attractive about my understanding of, of anarchism is that it exists. It exists right here, right now. We we are creating systems. I mean, anarchy exists anytime that a, a group of people get together and want to get something done and, and agree to make it happen. You know, th- this little interview, this little podcast, I mean, it, it happened. It, it didn't involve any sort of intervention by any sort of entity other than ourselves, just to put it together. And uh, anarchy happens every day. It happens uh, in collectives. It happens in uh cooperatives it just it happens it happens in disaster zones and uh, it just needs to happen more and we just need so much more of it and we just need so much more of the people taking care of the people and taking the 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 personal responsibility to do so and to, to build up their families and build up their communities and uh and, and negate the need for government you know we we disengage from the government every time that we do something without them be it the the black market economy or or you know doing services uh, without a permit you need a haircut here let me give you a haircut you know yeah i'll, I'll trade you this for that are you, you going to pay tax on that no um i think it's doable anarchy is it, it exists day to day it's just a matter of of making it a, a serious network that that works uh 
and it will because anarchy is order and it's one of the highest forms of order and it what it's what occurs in in the absence of, of such intervention um you know i, I of course it, it needs a little help it needs a little nudging it needs a little pushing and shoving um certainly so uh but i think it i think it's achievable and i think the the trick is just to create it and make make anarchy more robust and uh make sure that it it can respond you know i mean yeah we got the food nut bombs we've got the the common ground we we have the the medical collectives i mean how how big can we make them or or not even big but how how, how much replication can we occur how many how many autonomous uh uh council uh, cooperative uh situations can we create uh that that's that's how we have to do it we just have to create this uh this alternative network it's it's uh we need self-replicating like, organizers yes <laughs> like like the internet compared to the telephone system or something you know it just has many more nodules and much more interconnectedness and much more potential and we just have to bring it out into into real world and then somehow make it work sounds like a good place to leave it yeah i think that's actually that's perfect um Berman, thank you so much for coming on Ironweeds. We're grateful for uh, all of your time that you gave us, and um, I hope your campaign goes well. Yeah, where can uh, well, thank, thank you very much. How, how can uh, people uh, get in touch with you next? What's uh, do you have like a virtual campaign stop, or is there something that they can uh, look forward to in the next you couple? Know, weeks? I, I believe I, be I believe that we will. I mean, I've been doing a daily walk on the beach uh, where I've just been live streaming it on Instagram and Facebook just so people can watch me. I mean, uh, just be, just to chill out, man. I, I just need to walk the beach and chill out, and I, I share that with the people. Um, but, yeah, uh, VermintSupreme2020.com, we have the event page, and we keep that uh, up to date, I believe, on, in terms of scheduling. And uh, I'm hoping to do more just more social media, more live streaming, more uh, neckties, uh, just stuff, you know. How many, how, how, what's the most amount of neckties you've gotten around your neck all at once? <laughs> all of them. Okay. All, <laughs> right, all right. Okay. <laughs> and, and how are you doing in your campaign? Like, are, have you wrapped it up yet? Because I know you were winning early. Well, I, you know, I won the state of New Hampshire Libertarian uh, Party primary, which not a lot of votes, not a great shake, but bragging rights. I I actually won the Massachusetts Libertarian primary. Um, I came in tied for second in California and like third in North Carolina, which is just that's amazing. That's just so crazy. Uh, proof of concept. Um, it, it's doable. So the, the, camp, the campaign at this point is it's uh, right now. It's still a delegates game. The Libertarian uh, convention, the delegate convention is tentatively uh memorial day weekend in austin texas it may or may not happen i'm not holding my breath uh it's a you know there'll be up to a thousand delegates if it happens and the trick is to get 50 percent plus one and there'll be all those candidates in there and we'll be brawling it up hard and uh should the convention not happen it will be chosen by the libertarian national convention or committee, rather, the Libertarian National Committee, and they will uh, decide who will be the nominee. Uh, Smart Monies has, you know, I'm still a front runner. I'm still in the running. 
I still have a, a, a good solid chunk of support and uh, we are we are flipping delegates. Uh, it's a boy that's talk about how real this campaign is it, it's, been very real. <laughs> it's been very real. I mean yeah. I've been I mean do you th- do I look the guy, do I seem like the kind of person that wants to sit through uh, hours of libertarian business meetings they, they are freaks for Robert's rules of order man That's some horseshoe theory right there. Yeah, I want to clue you into a little something about the Libertarian Party. They're political nerds. Yeah. It's a party for political nerds. They were, you know, they, they belong to debating clubs and, and political clubs in, in high school, and now they're they're running a party. It's it's really amazing, and it, it's really something to watch. Um, <laughs> but yes, no, no, it's uh, the campaign's moving right along, and and I have to meet and greet those people. And like I say, now it's without the boot and. Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, it can, you know, let, trying to convince them, it's like, well, the boot is not attached to my head. Really? <laughs> you know, I, I am not my character. Wow, I'm not always on, not always disrupting, and I'm a very reasonable man with a very reasonable offer. And um, and I've had to do that again and again and again because it seems you would think that these people are like are paying enough attention that they would watch some of the other debates, but no, they don't. So I have to say the same darn thing over, over and over and convince these, this, I don't know. It, it's weird. They, they just <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Well, if they the boot isn't on your head, it's in our hearts. They think I'm a crazy people. So <laughs> do I receive the nomination or is it, is the free pony just the friends that we make along the way? <laughs> I, I think it might be. Yeah. It's okay. And you know, if you had to ask me, a couple of years back, or if you had told me, Vermin, you're going to be running for president in the Libertarian Party and actually standing a pretty decent chance of getting the nomination, boy, I would not have believed that. Yeah. I, I, I would have been aghast. I would have said that's crazy. Um, you know, I used to badmouth Libertarians harder than anybody. I mean, Jiminy Cricket. Um, but like I say, it, it, it took a lot of time before I could, uh, you know, learn and see the uh, love and compassion and uh, – the caring they have within their community. And uh, I think that's the message that I want to try and bring out in my campaign. Um, it's all about uh, being able to do that with love and compassion. And uh, if you're an anti-authoritarian, if you believe in the uh, non-aggression principle, that uh, violence is uh, only something that should be used in self-defense of yourself or your toothbrush, um, then yes, um, then, then, you, then you can join. Well, thank yeah. you again so much. Yeah, and good luck during this incredibly difficult pandemic that we're all living through. You know, like, I hope the campaign, you know, does well, and I hope you stay healthy and, you know, safe. Thank you. Likewise. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, though.